Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Satan loves nothing more than a church that is divided. Church that is divided from the Word, church that is divided from one another. So you have to think, Satan was probably really pleased with what was going on with the Pharisees in our Gospel reading from Matthew 22. They're seeking to trap Jesus, and so they ask this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, the Pharisees are setting up this question as an either-or, in which both answers are wrong. Either you say, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, and the Jewish crowd who hates Rome gets all upset, because that's the wrong answer. Or you say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, we don't have any allegiance to him, and the Romans, who are in power, they're upset because that's the wrong answer. Yeah, this is emblematic of the way the Pharisees kind of acted, not just to Jesus, uh, but to the people of God in this time. Is there is one right answer, one right way to do things, and it's their way. Their goal with these either-or questions, either you're in or you're out, is the way that they lived their lives. Their focus point was conformity. Is if you look like us, if you act like us, if you follow the law like we do, if you follow all these extra laws that we've come up with, if you look like us, then, and only then, are you a faithful follower of God. Conformity seeks to have one way, and oftentimes those boundary lines are drawn by whatever works for me. Whatever I think is right, whatever my preference is, that becomes the standard by which everyone else should be judged. And the Pharisees were great at it. In fact, the society had bought into it. They saw the Pharisees as the pinnacle. I mean, this is what we should all try to be. We should all try to look like that. And the problem is when we can't conform, when we can't behave, when we can't be exactly like the standards that have been set, we end up with division. And Satan loves nothing more than a divided church. So you had, you had the Pharisees, then you had the people who weren't quite good enough. And then you had, had the outcasts. Then you had those who were outside of the family of God all together. We had divisions based on this idea of conformity. And yet Jesus doesn't play that game. Because Jesus knows for the people of God, conformity to our own standards of behavior, what it looks like, to be a follower of God, conformity to our own rules, our own boundaries that we have set up is not the goal. Confession. Confession of the faith of what God has given to us. That's the goal for the people of God. And so Jesus answers them. 
by asking them to bring a coin. Whose image, whose likeness is on this coin? Well, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Jesus' answer is not falling into the false either-or trap, but instead he confesses faith. Because it is God alone, God's word, which sets the boundaries for what is faithful and what is not. And in his answer, Jesus rejects teachings which are outside of the boundaries of the word of God. We can't say, well, worship the government, worship Caesar, is breaking the first commandment. It's outside of the boundaries, and so we reject that. Nor does he say, ignore Rome, ignore Caesar, do whatever you want, because that is breaking the fourth commandment of honoring authority, and that is outside the boundaries of the word of God. To confess means to recognize that God in his word set the standards for how we are to live, and those things which are clearly outside those boundary lines we reject. But to confess also means to recognize that within the boundaries that God has set, there is freedom. That confessing this faith can look differently depending on the context, depending on the person, depending on the community of faith that God has gathered together. And so it calls for discernment of asking the right questions. See, Jesus' answer calls for discernment. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Notice he doesn't continue on and say, here's exactly what I mean by this. Here's what belongs to God. Here's what belongs to Caesar. No, what he does is he sets the boundaries and he leaves room for the discernment of God's people to know what does this look like? How can I be faithful in my context with the people God has placed in my life? The unspoken truth behind Jesus' answer goes back to the coin. Whose likeness, whose image is on the coin? Caesar. The natural question to find out what belongs to God is, where do we see God's likeness in his image? On you. Created in the image of God. You belong to God. And and what what that's meant to do for the Pharisees is to destroy their hierarchy of who really is faithful, who really is a child of God, who really belongs. In confessing the faith, Jesus says, give to God the things that are God's. Allow God to define who is in and who is out. Allow God to define who is valuable, who is not. That the people that they were looking down on are made in the image of God. See, to confess the faith is to recognize God sets the standards. God sets the boundaries. And we reject those things which are outside, but we also see the freedom that comes within there as we confess the faith as people who are made in God's image, who are bought back with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
So we may not have the exact same struggles as the people of God in Matthew 22. But we too struggle with this either-or idea of conformity. We take things that, that should be matters of freedom, and we determine based on my preferences, there is a right and there is a wrong answer. For example, uh, in, in your family, you probably have traditions that you do on Christmas. Whether you open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whether you have your turkey or ham, or whether you go to the, the 11 o'clock candlelight service or a different service time. We have all these preferences. And we go up through life assuming we're doing it the right way. And then all of a sudden you get married. And your spouse's family, they think they did everything right. And all of a sudden you get in conflict and you go, hold on a second, you guys do what? And it's not just, oh, that's a different way to do it in your culture, so to speak. No, it's, that's wrong. I, I can't believe you, you, you would do that. We attach a value, a right or wrong, to all sorts of things. Think about parenting. Almost everything in parenting, it's about this comparison of, wait, you do, you let your kids go to bed at, at what, what time? Right? You uh, go on, on this vacation, and, and you brought your kids? And you didn't bring your kids? Because there's a right or wrong answer. You live how close to your family? Oh, that's too close. Oh, that's too far away. Because there is a right or wrong. And the boundaries are set by whatever worked for us. Whatever we're most comfortable with. And we assume that must be the right answer. We insist that is the right answer for everyone else. And it causes all sorts of conflict in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages. But worst of all, this creeps into the church. What are you supposed to wear when you go to church? And in our minds, there's a right answer, and there's a whole bunch of wrong answers set by our upbringing, by our standards, by our preferences. What, what kind of school should you send your kids to? Be homeschooled? be a public school, a Lutheran school. And in our minds, there is one right answer based on our preferences, based on our upbringing, based on our standards. And anyone that makes a choice that, that's different for their family, we can look down on because they're doing it wrong. What kind of music should we have in worship? Should we play by an organ? By a keyboard? by guitar? In our minds, there's one right answer. And it's based on our preferences, our, our comfortability, whatever we like most, and we set that standard and we judge everyone else that they may conform to our way of view. Because if they did that, man, that, that, then we'd really be the church. Then things would be better. If everyone just looked a little bit more like And so what happens, instead of one united church, we end up even within the same congregation with multiple churches, multiple congregations be based on 
what people look like, what school they go to, how they prefer to worship. Within the same congregation, you can have 17 different churches or 250 different churches depending on how many people happen to be in worship. We separate ourselves from others. We divide ourselves from others based on our own preferences because we set the standards, the boundary of what it looks like to be a faithful child of God. And Satan loves nothing more than a church that is divided. Give to God that which belongs to God. That's what we are called to do as well. To give to God the things that are God's. And first and foremost, that means our sin. The times where we've created division. We've looked down on others who are made in the image of God because they're not doing things the way we would like them to do it. When we've judged ourselves too harshly for not meeting others' standards and looking to the opinions of others rather than the Word of God. Give to God what is God's. Your sin does not belong to you. It belongs on the cross of Jesus Christ where it has been paid in full. Give to God the things that are God's. You are forgiven fully. Let that be the standard for your life. Give to God the things that are God's. Where do we see God's image? We see His image on you. You belong to God. Our entire lives belong to the God who created you, who sent His Son to die for you, who called you into His family in the waters of baptism. Give to God that which is God's. It includes the boundaries of what does it look like to live as a faithful Christian. God sets those through His Word through his law. And so we give that to him. And those things which are outside the boundaries, we reject. We don't say, well, no, yeah, you can uh, choose to stay faithful to your spouse or commit adultery. Either way, just fine. No, no, no. There are some things which are clearly outside the law of God, and we reject that. But for all those things, the majority of which we spend most of our conflicts arguing about, things which are within the boundaries of God's word, Instead of judging people by our preferences, our standards, our upbringing, we give to God what is God's. We allow Him to set the boundaries. And we live with freedom. And we ask the right questions. We ask the question of what does it mean for me to be faithful with what God has given me? Regardless of which which school I send my kids to? How can I I faithfully do that? How can I faithfully encourage and come alongside my Lutheran school as they teach the faith? How how can I encourage my kids that are homeschooled at a public school to be missionaries wherever God has sent them, to be a witness of Christ? How can we faithfully be God's people in, in whatever workplace I find myself in? How can we faithfully worship God in a way that focuses us on Christ and His gifts 
regardless of which instruments or service form are used. Those are the questions God invites us to ask, to confess the faith as he sets the boundaries. Now, what happens when someone around me or or something happens within the church or in my family that that someone's doing something that it's not the way that I would do it. It's not unfaithful. It's not outside the boundaries, but it's not the way that I would do it. It's not the choice I would make. I was given some uh, great advice this past week. I was at a conference uh, in St. Louis. It was, it was a worship conference uh, put on uh, by uh, some organizations within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And, and it, was, it was interesting to note uh, the sessions that they didn't have. Right? There was no session called uh, what everyone else is doing wrong. There was no session called the right and only way to worship. There was no breakout session entitled which version of a mighty fortress should you sing on Reformation Sunday? Because I promise you, next Sunday, every church in our synod has to pick one version or the other and depending on your upbringing, you go, oh, they picked the wrong one. And we're sitting there, and mighty fortresses are God, but this is not the right tune. Because it's not based on our preference, even though both are within the boundaries that God has set. No, there weren't sessions about any of those things. In fact, what we experienced at that conference was worship that was deeply rooted in the Scriptures. That was covered and rooted in the Lutheran confessions. But worship that used different instruments, different liturgies, different uh, styles. And here was the advice that one of the presenters gave as he talked about his congregation, which regularly practices uh, various things. He goes, I know that throughout our service, there's things that are going to happen that someone's going, I, I, that's, not, that's not my style. That, that's not really uh, my preference, my upbringing. And he says, what I encourage them to do is, is in those songs, in that, that liturgy piece, in whatever it is, or even in, in your service, in, in activities, in ways of serving, things that, that don't really speak to you, instead of looking at yourself and going, I would do it this way, Look at the body of Christ. Look at the people around you and look at who is being blessed by that choice that you wouldn't have made. Look who really loves that version of the hymn. Uh, look who is, is excited about that area of service. Look who is being blessed by, by that choice of school, by that way of parenting. Instead of looking at yourself, praise God for how the people around you are living faithfully, are being blessed by their service, by their worship, by what they're doing. See, to confess the faith is to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our preferences, off of conforming everyone to our image, but instead looking at Christ and knowing we are made in His image. We can faithfully confess the faith because that's what unites us. The common confession of faith rooted in Scripture, found in the Lutheran confessions, united. Not as hundreds of different churches, but as one church. See, Satan loves nothing more than a church that is divided. 
But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we give to God the things that are God's, all those divisions, all those divisions fall away. That's why Jesus says to Peter, on your confession, on your confession of faith, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground, all other divisions, all other preferences, all other boundaries we may set, all other ground, sinking sand. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until he calls you home. Amen.